Welcome to See It and Feel It with Dr. Brett. And I'm Dr. Brett, and today I'm here with Mitch Bartolo, a D1 athlete, lacrosse player at the University of Pennsylvania. Hey, Mitch. How hey, are you? Dr. Brett, how you doing? I'm doing Thanks great. For me on. What's that? Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. Oh, oh yeah, definitely, man. It's great to see you again. Awesome. You know, we talk a lot, but but very rarely in the you know Zoom or Skype or anything like that, right? The old days of Skype, and now it's Zoom, right? Um, so tell me, you know, so look, so you're, you know, a D1 lacrosse player and not everybody knows the world of lacrosse all that well. Tell us about high school and the transition to college, then we'll get into all this other stuff, but give us a little background first. Yeah, um, so lacrosse um, is actually pretty well known for like early recruitment in general also, um, like kind of stressful in that sense, a lot of kids commit very early uh, to playing college if you know that's what you want to do. Um, and so it's just, uh, it, it's a difficult time kind of for people who are still trying to find their space or maybe a late bloomer, like someone like myself. Um, mm -hmm. so I really grew into my body a little bit later. And so I kind of had to navigate that a little bit differently than the rest of, uh, the, the high school across society. But, um, yeah, and then getting into college, I mean, it's just like a lot faster, similar to all other sports. I mean, just a lot of like the physical pace picks up the mental pace. You really have to be there. Um, really just have to be present and be able to kind of absorb as much as you can when you transition from high school into college. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a great experience for me. I mean, I've learned so much going from high school to college in general and just from the game of lacrosse. Um, and obviously talking with you, you've helped me navigate that very well as well. So Awesome. I appreciate that. Hey, so tell us about like, you know, what does early recruitment mean? Is that sophomore? Is that freshman? Is that junior? And then what was your transition like? You know, what was your early recruitment like? Cool. Yeah. So, uh, so it used to be, they actually changed the rule, I think one or two years ago since I've been in college, but, um, it used to be like most, most teams would commit people freshman year or even sophomore year of high school, um, to these big D1 programs, uh, that they just hear the great name of. And so the kids want to commit early so they don't have to really worry about that moving forward. Um, but for me, for example, I actually wasn't really getting much look, many looks at all. And so I had to kind of repeat, I, I did three years at a public school and I ended up repeating and doing two years at a boarding school um, to kind of extend my recruiting period and help me get into the best school that I could get into. Um, so that was really, it, it was, it's something that a lot of kids definitely do that they definitely look at seriously um, in terms of lacrosse, in terms of uh, kind of reclassifying. And it helped out, it worked out great for me. I, I ended up having one great summer uh, going into my senior year, which is really late for lacrosse recruiting as most of the classes are filled by then but um i had one great summer and i ended up talking to penn and uh had another offer from richmond and so i was just kind of weighing those back and forth and uh penn just like blew me away and that, that's really where i wanted to be so. oh very cool so when you start talking to these coaches are you reaching out to them or are they reaching out to you when you say you know tell us about the recruitment process yeah so you kind of you definitely want to reach out to them you want to like put your name out there send them emails send them highlight tapes send them uh have your coaches reach out to them maybe uh, your high school coaches reach out to college coaches for you if there's any connections there you really want to just it's really about the connection game and playing connections um and then i obviously like there's there's people that are very highly recruited because they're highly ranked or they're well known on a national scale and that was never me i've never been ranked or had anything to do with that so i really had to go kind of underground and really play my relationships the right way and really try to reach out and initiate those. And so, yeah, so I actually played at a couple tournaments. A lot of the recruiting for lacrosse is over the summer. Um, and so you'll play like tournaments over a weekend where you play five or six games and there's like 50 college coaches lined up on the sideline just watching you and taking notes. And maybe they'll come up to you after, maybe they'll reach out to your coach, maybe they'll send you an email. Um, but for me, I just got really lucky. I had a great connection between my club coach from Darien, Connecticut. He was really close with uh, Coach Murphy, uh, who's my head coach at UPenn now. And so that was really, that, that's really got me where I am now. And I'm really thankful for that. Awesome. Very cool. And what about kids that, you know, can't necessarily, you know, afford to go to a private school or do the gap year? What, what advice would you give them to sort of make that transition without? know being able to necessarily afford the private programs yeah you know i would say i mean i think they've definitely made it a lot easier for kids who can't afford places like that well first of all there are scholarships to places like that but i totally understand that that's not a viable option for a lot of people and so um they've, by pushing back the deadline i think you're not able to talk to college coaches until like september 1st which is coming up but of your junior year i think you're not able to talk to coaches officially and they're not allowed to talk to kids until junior year september 1st 
And so just that kind of being pushed back and kind of recognizing early on, like, hey, like, I need to, like, I need to hone my skills early. I need to be able to talk, reach out to as many people as I can. I need to build those relationships with anybody I know playing in college, with any college coaches that I know. Um, just um, and, and reaching out to the right club team, really, it, it is difficult, obviously, when you're from a situation where maybe you're not exposed to all those things because it is kind of a tight-knit community. But I, I would just say networking and reaching out to as many people as you can and trying to learn um, consistently through that as early as you can. It, it's yeah, it sounds very similar to the just the general relationship skills of you know reaching out in life right so for jobs right because you're doing internships and so on right building you know solid relationships yeah yeah right? totally right? yeah so it sounds like a lot of kids need like more of that skill set right yeah um, totally. you know how many players are typically on a on a on a d1 team how many players do you have yeah, so we have about 50 on our team, give or take, like walk-ons here and there, or kids taking a semester off, but about 50, yeah. And how many of those are pretty good interpersonally? <laughs> Personally, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not going to answer <laughs> <laughs> I know, man, that's kind of like a question you can't answer. I'm just saying, like, I could imagine that the skill sets, like, really vary that way, right? Yeah, totally. Well, you can definitely tell a lot from where somebody's background is as well, kind of where if, if they were kind of just pushed along and like this was kind of planned out for them to get to the spot or if they really took it on their own initiative to, to reach out, make those interpersonal relationships and, and um, try to get themselves to something something that they might not have gotten to on their own or in, in their own spot. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Tell us a little bit about the transition from high school to college level, how intense that was or how challenging that was i know you got injured at some point so there's just a lot here for us to cover yeah yeah totally so uh, my freshman year was definitely very very colorful there's a lot that went on a lot big transition definitely but um i think the number one thing is kind of like the everyone's kind of worried about the social like uh, uh transformation as you go in and then also how you're going to be able to especially as an athlete as a division one athlete how you're going to balance academics and athletics um, that's definitely, I actually just got off the phone with someone today, a recruit, um, who asked me those questions. That was the first thing he said. But um, it, it's really great for a team like ours at, at Penn. Uh, it's been great. I'm, I'm sure other schools feel the same, but when you get there, you automatically have like 50 best friends. Like there's a, like you're automatically in this brotherhood of these guys who have gone through things that you're going to go through and they recognize that and they want to be there for you. They want to help you get through that. And so kind of recognizing that and again, the interpersonal relationships, kind of building relationships with people that, I mean, it might be, it might be natural at first to feel like, oh, I'm kind of intimidated by this senior, by this junior, like they're like older than me, like they've been through it, they have more experience than me, like maybe I'll just kind of like sit back, not really try to reach out to them, but I mean, you really have to. And then that's really helped me completely the whole way. It's been reaching out to those older guys who want to see you, see you succeed and they recognize that you're going to be an important part of their life moving forward. Um, yeah, so my, I had a great senior, uh, sorry, I had a great freshman fall, um, like great time with all my friends. Like I've made 50 best friends instantly, like I've said before. Um, had a great time, went into the season. Um, I dealt with some personal issues with my family um, and other things that um, made it a little bit tough kind of off the field, but um, I was still able to kind of focus on in the field, on the field a little bit more. And uh, I actually got um, hit pretty hard with a Achilles injury and tore my Achilles um in warm-ups for a game about halfway through the season which was really difficult for me um and definitely like a time where i had to dig deep and kind of persevere and really think about what was really important to me and kind of get back to my basics and uh dr brett obviously you helped me a ton with things like that kind of just getting back to my inner self and meditating and building good habits and kind of looking at the positive the positive aspects of what can come to this and or why it happened and how to prevent things going forward um, and just kind of being mindful of the whole situation, even though things seem like they're moving too fast and they're too difficult to kind of really understand or, or to grasp. You, you really just have to take it day by day, live in the present moment. And uh, yeah, it's awesome, Mitch. Uh, that's great sharing. But, uh, you know, let's go a little bit deeper there. Tell us, like, when you look back, because it's been several years, what was like the core takeaway from that injury? I would say, honestly, as the same, the similar that it is with all injuries, I would say kind of seeing the progress that you go through is really powerful and, and recognizing that like, hey, I'm going to do this every day. And even though it might be, it might seem mundane and it might be difficult at times, like 
I'm still going to live in this moment and enjoy the time that I have here because a lot of things could be a lot worse. A lot more things could have been taken away from me. And at the end of the day, I'm still here. I chose the school that I wanted to go to, that be around people that I wanted to be around. If I got injured, if I couldn't play the game anymore, I want to make sure that I'm somewhere happy and like somewhere where I can still be happy and still thrive. And it's, it's really difficult to, I mean, the first couple of days, I'm sure anybody listening who's had a serious injury too, the first couple of days, you're really down on yourself. And you're like, wow, why did this happen to me? Like, why me? Like, how, is, how am I going to deal with this? I'll never get out of this rut. Um, but then as you kind of see, like, hey, like, oh, this is actually feeling a little better today. Like, I can move a little better. And Dr. Brett, you went through something similar with your wrist, how you, like, when you broke your wrist a few months ago or a month ago, and you weren't able really to, to do anything at first, and you couldn't even move it without pain. And then suddenly you're like, oh, okay, I can pick this up. I got to do it. One day you can uh, pick up a coffee cup again. It's pretty yeah. weird. You can't do that. Yeah. And so just kind of seeing that. And also, I mean, a supporting cast, like a friends and family who are around me, definitely. And like, obviously, Dr. Brett, you helped me through a million things like that. And um, But yeah, just really just leaning on people close to you, but also recognizing what's powerful, like what's meaningful to you and yourself. Yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying is learning to stay out of your head, not, you know, some kind of future negative projection thing, right? The day by day, taking it day by day and not worrying about the future, right? Not worrying about whether you're going to play again or how well you're going to play again. Or Achilles is particularly, you know, intense. I mean, that's not like, you know, that's not your run of the mill injury. That's a lot longer than, you know, a lot of injuries. Yeah, so I mean exactly what you said, and that's something that we've been working on is not projecting and not not looking out into the future, not looking out into all right. Well, this just took this away from me in three months. Like I'm not gonna be able to run for six months. I'm not gonna be able to like actually play for nine months. Like not thinking about those things, just thinking like day by day. Like hey, look, I got a little bit better today. Like I smiled a little bit today. Like I was with my friends. Like I had a good time, and everything's still good. Like yeah, I'm not really able to do everything I want to do, and everything's not as perfect as it could be, but. I'm not going to be upset that in the future I don't have that, like, I don't have that tied down. I'm not going to be upset that I don't have that opportunity, like, that opportunity set in stone coming in the future. Like, I'm just going to take it day by day and improve as much as I can and really get out of my, exactly what you said, get out of my own head uh, at the beginning and just kind of take it as it comes. Yeah, it's interesting when you, like, sometimes when you get injured, it actually gives you more time to work on things you might not have worked on before, like the mental game, right? Like working on the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual aspects, you know, because we get, you know, I say this all the time, Mitch, it's like, you know, the tendency is to get very caught up in the physical, especially yeah. for guys like you that are super, you know, strong physically. Yeah, yeah. What, what it really taught me, and now that I'm thinking a little bit deeper, what it really taught me was how to be comfortable with myself all the time because uh, there's going to be a lot of times especially during an injury like that where you're going to be on your own where it's going to feel like oh like people are going out and where people are doing other things i can't be on the field like i need to be comfortable within myself 24 hours a day because that's going to be how i i navigate through this that's going to be how i'm able to be successful coming out on the other end of this injury and whether that be an injury whether that be uh, something with a family member, whether that be a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it be any major change like that anybody's dealt with or anything that you have to go through that's going to be somewhat of a crisis or somewhat of a difficult time to manage through, um, you really need to come back to that time with yourself, that meditation, that, that kind of personal growth thinking, um, that kind of mindset. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's really well said, Mitch. In a lot of ways, it's like a catalyst, right? for you to sort of, like you said, to get more grounded in you, more comfortable in your own skin, but it's like the beginning of really teaching you about how not to chase relationships too, right? Because when you're injured, you can't do certain things. So you have to slow down and be more in the moment. And there's a tendency for a lot of people to sort of like want a relationship to work, right? Like, a, you know, especially a love relationship. And sometimes it's not working, right? And instead of sort of chasing it or pushing it, right? Slowing down and getting present, not projecting, staying, right? And, and, and not forcing things, right? Because in an injury, you can't really force it, right? You can rehab it, you can work on it, but if you start to force it, sometimes you get, you know, injured again. Yeah, yeah, I think I think what you're kind of referring to also is the similarity between those two is really is the clarity of the situation. I mean, the clarity of the situation with the injury 
was like, hey, like I actually can't go out and run right now. I can't go out and like go out to a party. I can't like I can't do these things. Like I'm, so it gives me an excuse. Like I kind of would say it to myself, like, oh, it gives me an excuse to actually work on myself now. And like same thing with a relationship. If something like happens with that, where you're like, wow, this is actually giving me clarity of the situation. I, I'm not gonna go any further into it. Like I already know what the answer is. It's clear to me. Then it's like, okay, I can actually focus back on myself now and and put that energy back into my own my own mental health and my own personal growth. Like you can kind of put that energy back because you know that that it's not going to go um, to that other aspect anymore. Yeah, that's really well said. And but it's also amazing though what a process that is, right? Because even in a cat, you know, very difficult injury like the one you had, an Achilles, what is six to nine months or more? Some people it can be up to a year, right, for an Achilles. But you know that same process also in a relationship of slowing down and sort of like you know not pushing it or chasing it, right? That's a journey too, right? It, 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 it's similar in some respects. Yeah. And yeah. I've seen a lot of athletes where they struggle. It's like in one area, they can sort of put it together. And yet in another area, you know, they're impatient. And that's why I like to work with people where they're always working on patients everywhere, off the field, on the field. One of the biggest muscles you can actually build is patience, right? Yeah. Just how challenging it is, right, to like stay in the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. really it's right. really hard yeah no and it's, it's just and patience and consistency i mean it's really hard to stay consistent with the consistent with those things and one thing that you've taught me that we've always uh, talked about is kind of how when you don't take care of your body or if you don't take care of your mind like if you're not meditating if you're not sleeping well if you're not eating well if you're not drinking water staying hydrated then your mind can tend to run to other places that you don't really necessarily want to go it's harder to stay strong through those things it's harder to stay patient and consistent not fall back into the habits or whether it be with a love life or whether it be just depression from an injury or depression from again things with your family whatever it may be like if you're not actually taking care of yourself it is hard work it's it's hard work it's patience consistency it's it's not easy to do but um it definitely pays off as you as you kind of figure that out and nobody has it completely figured out everybody falls back into a rut nobody has everything down but yeah. it's, it's really just about staying consistent with the, within yourself and holding yourself accountable for what, who you want to be and how you want to live your life. Well, that's really well said. It's about staying consistent with your, you know, and holding yourself accountable for who you want to be and how you want to live your life. I love the way you, you phrase that. Um, you mentioned meditation a few times, which, you know, I'm a huge believer in. I might have been the person that taught you how to meditate. It's very possible. Right. What, you know, tell me like how challenging is meditation for you and, you know, how good are you at it? And like, you know, where are we going with this in the future? Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, I'm not as good as, it, as I wish I was, um, especially first starting off. I mean, I really didn't know what I was getting into. I kind of just would sit there and focus on my breathing. And sometimes I would kind of get distracted and start letting my mind run other places. So I started some guided meditation, whether it be like apps or YouTube, things like that, that we talked about. And then also just like relaxing sound, things like that. But it's really about um, something that I've learned about it that I think we talked about as well. It's kind of about like accepting what you're here, like what you're thinking, like accepting where your mind wants to go and letting it go there. But then also just being able to be like, hey, all right, like this is where I want to go. I'm going to allow that to happen. And then for the next few seconds, maybe I'm just not going to think of anything. I'm just going to count my breaths and I'm going to really focus on my inhales and exhales. And I'm going to bring myself back to the moment. So I recognize that I'm not going to try to erase everything that's on my mind or try to like really control it. I'm going to kind of let that let those things flow back and forth. And then I'm going to focus back on myself and my breath and bring myself back to the present moment. And so yeah. obviously, like, I understand the concept like well, kind of, but I need to get much better at it yeah. well you know what's awesome is you do understand the concept because that's it again you articulated that really well about bringing both allowing and then bringing your focus back you know both are really interesting skill sets because bringing your focus back in the moment is training your mind allowing is a fascinating way to live because it implies acceptance and non-judgment and you know that's a pretty amazing way to live also because you're learning not to have such a critical inner voice, right? Because like in the sports world, like we want to always self-improve, right? We always want to get better, but if we're pounding the shit out of each other, right? Ourselves or whatever, that's not going to be 
helpful, right? You know, I always tell everybody two, three, four seconds, curse, swear, get it over with, whatever you want to do, but then we've got to move on. Maybe there's some sports where it's 10 or 20 seconds, but I know, in, you know, I know a lot of sports, they're so fast, you don't have the time to beat yourself up and have any value, right? There's no value there. Yeah, no, totally. And that's something that my coach preaches as well that I've kind of taken from the field into my personal life is like, hey, like, we're not going to, we're not going to get on each other in a negative way and put each other down, like, based on what we did wrong. We're going to think about, all right, so if, if it's something serious that you keep doing again and again, like, obviously people are going to get upset. You might have that little 10 to 20 seconds to freak out where you get a little more upset and you let emotions fly. But there's going to be, like, especially the first couple times a mistake is made or a couple times you catch yourself overthinking and catch yourself going in the direction that you don't necessarily want to go back down. Like, you just talk to yourself and you say, hey, like, it's okay that I did this, but I need to recognize why I did this. And then moving forward, like, I want to be able to control that. Like, that's something that I'm going to work on. And so, like, being, like, being understanding with yourself and allowing, like you said, allowance and acceptance of what you think and what you're going to, like, move forward with. But um, but, but not really harping on it or, or getting yourself too down or, or, like, being upset with yourself or depressed because of that. Yeah, it's well said again. So out of 50 players on the team, how many do you think meditate and how many are sort of, you know, paying attention to the mental game? And, you know, you know, what's that variation like? Do you notice that some players are almost entirely caught up in the physical and some are more tuned in like you are? You know, what's that variation like for you? Yeah, I would say um, definitely like more than not are, are not very are more caught up in the physical or just kind of caught up in living like their everyday life and not really as reflective or self-reflective i would say that may, might just be the culture within lacrosse i'm not exactly sure whether it's just the, the culture in male sports in general um not really like placing the emphasis on the mental game mental aspect of the game but it's something that i've definitely struggled with throughout my career and something that i've definitely placed an emphasis on i would say probably i mean maybe like five to ten other guys on my team are very like very like reflective and awoke like woke on kind of how their mental game affects their physical game and how it affects their outcome um i would say that a lot of them maybe just kind of flip the switch off and, and go play and that works well for them too i mean i can't i can't like knock that at all i mean if you're able to flip the switch and just be that person on the field that's totally fine but there are definitely people who have more of a reflective personality that need to really um understand it a little better i think yeah it's interesting some people are a little bit more tuned in that way than other people and yet sometimes when you're young and you're super physical and you just go play there's you know i mean that can work for certain people as well i remember listening to a phil nicholson interview recently and he said there's like two kinds of golfers the the really bright ones and the really dumb ones and they each can work based on their own style i'm not saying this is directly related to intelligence like he said but there are different styles. And for some people, you know, just having no mind, you know, I mean, they don't, there's no real focus on the mental game and yet they can perform pretty well. What I've found though, is that oftentimes that doesn't hold up forever, right? At some point, you know, if you don't start putting more and more energy into the mental aspects of your play, it will catch up with you. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And also, that kind of happens as pressure builds. I mean, as you as you get into situations where you're more pressured, whether whether that be, I mean, anybody that's played the sport and or that's been looking to be recruited, you felt pressure like when you're playing in front of a college coach or when you're playing, and you know that this is like gonna help decide your future. Or like on on the other hand of it, when you're in a big college game and there's a bunch of people there and the playoff game and there's it's overtime, like there's like you definitely have adrenaline rushing and it's hard not to think about what your mental game, how your mental game is going to affect your physical game moving forward. And it's really difficult to kind of separate those two or to really, to really manage your overall mental game. And, and if, you're, if you're not practicing that, if you're not like openly mindful of that throughout your, your career, throughout your athletic career, or even your, your personal career, um, it's going to be really difficult to kind of flip that switch when those, when those pressure points do come. Yeah. Really well said again. Um, you know, I didn't play. I didn't grow up playing lacrosse. I didn't have your size or whatever. We played baseball. I say we because I'm an identical twin. So I always say I orient that way, um, you know. And then I became a golfer later on, and so on and so on. How many kids? You know, how many people are in those stands when you're in a playoff game at the University of Pennsylvania? How how intense is that? 
It was uh, so we had we made the playoffs two years ago. Obviously with COVID, uh, our, our season this past year got cut short. But um, a couple years ago, um, we were in the Elite Eight, um, which is like the top eight teams in the tournament. We made it to that to that round, and um, we were actually at the UConn Stadium, uh, their football stadium, and there was probably I'd say 20, 20, 25,000 people there maybe. Wow, that's awesome. Don't quote me on that, but there was a lot of people. Yeah, that's a lot. That sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, there's probably probably six or seven, maybe eight thousand at uh ten at our at Franklin Field for our first round of the playoff game, which is really cool to see. Wow, that's really amazing. That's but, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And what about like you know, out of fifty players that on your team, University of Pennsylvania here? How many of them have any kind of like major league lacrosse dreams? Like, you know, what's the main, you know, what is like professional lacrosse like? I don't yeah. know anything about it really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, it's been the major league, the major, the major league lacrosse um, has been at the MLL has been like at the forefront of major league lacrosse for a long time. Um, and then actually this past year or two years ago, the PLL, uh, the premier lacrosse league was developed, which is a completely new uh, professional league, which is like, like pretty crazy to, like have that kind of coupled with each other, but um, so a lot of the really good PLL because I grew up with the PLO, right? The Palestinian Liberation Organization. <laughs> like so, you're saying PLL? I just want to clarify, right? Yeah. It's a professional lacrosse league. Premier Premier lacrosse. Premier league. right? Like, yeah, and so they um they kind of got a lot of funding early, and a lot of guys kind of went over from the MLL to the PLL, um, and kind of made that transition. Um, and then actually, it's kind of been interesting because uh, they actually, I think there's better pay in the PLL in general. I'm not exactly sure, but that's kind of what I've heard. Um, better salaries in general. Um, what are those salaries like, Mitch? I, you know, I mean, tell yeah, us. Yeah, so a lot of guys have other jobs too. A lot of guys uh, work either, like a few of my friends in the league, like they work not regular nine to five jobs, either work in New York or other like finance jobs or something. Um, and then they go play on the weekends. And so they'll fly out Friday night. They'll have a practice Friday night, like a light walkthrough. And then they'll play Saturday, and then like Saturday night they'll go out with all their buddies on their team and kind of enjoy the weekend, um, which is cool, which is really cool. I mean, COVID has definitely uh, changed it. So the PLL decided to just do a three-week uh, tournament. So they kind of went like a bubble, like similar to the NBA. They went with like a bubble just for three weeks um, to have their playoff tournament. And that was really successful. That was awesome. Uh, they got a lot of like people tuned in on NBC Sports and things like that. And um, and so I actually know some people that were gonna go to the PLL but decided to go to the MLL instead because the MLL is still doing weekend games. And so they're still, they're, what? still doing still what? weekend games. Um, so so they can still work their everyday job because a few people like there's definitely people that can't take three weeks off of work to go play lacrosse. Yeah. And even if they are going to be professional cross players, like their career probably provides for them a little bit better. And so it's not really to the point where, uh, with the with the exception of a few people who can get very good scholarships or not scholarships, uh, endorsements and uh, like sponsorship is what I meant. Um, with the exception of those people, um, for the most part, a lot of people have other jobs as well, especially the people on that. Is there a future in lacrosse where you could actually get paid enough, like, you know, without the endorsements that people can do it full time? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there is. I think it's definitely growing a lot. The PLL, the major thing about the PLL is that they have a huge partnership with uh, NBC and NBC Sports. So they've gotten some games right on NBC. They've gotten a bunch of games on NBC Sports in general. And, um, and so that is kind of growing the game a lot more and trying to get some some other people involved in it, some other athletes involved in it, people that support the lacrosse community, really trying to get their name out there more. Um, but I can see that happening in the future. I don't know what's going to happen in the next three or four years necessarily, how much it's going to grow, um, or if people are really going to be at the point where that's going to be their whole salary. But um, I I'm just not sure. Because also, it it's not like a full year of training type of thing. Like you're obviously training on your own, keeping your body up. but it's not similar to NFL or MLB or NBA in the sense that you're training all year for these times. Like, like a lot of people only play over the summer. Like the, like the MLL and the PLL are only over the summer. And so yeah. like, you know, the rest of their life going on and for the rest of the year. And then they prepare for that. Was it like May, to, are those leagues running May to September, that kind of thing? Or? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was May to August last year. Obviously COVID has messed everything up. I don't even know really what happened this year, but, um, but yeah, so um, it's usually like May to August, May to July maybe. 
And so because of the injury that you had, um, and then also this year being cut short, do you have, as a senior, do you have two more years of eligibility? Is that what you have? No, as of now, I only have one one extra year of eligibility um, because I tore my Achilles in the seventh game my freshman year, and I played more than half the games. Or I think I think the rule is like 30% of the games you can't play in, in order to redshirt. Um, so it. I wasn't able to redshirt, and I played in all those games. So. Got it. What about this year with, you know, March, whenever they cut everything in March? What... Yeah, I mean, hopefully hopefully they don't. Hopefully we can play. Um, oh, you're talking about you this? What do mean last, this year, like uh, just a few oh. months ago or whatever? Oh, yeah. They give you, you, you have the whole season back in terms of eligibility? Yeah, yeah, I have the full season back in terms of eligibility, which is awesome. So everybody got that, right? Yeah. But the thing that the thing that sucked also for me is I got mono this year. Uh, I played the first two games and then I got mono and was out for four weeks. And then I was finally getting ready, getting back in shape, ready to pop, ready to come back on against. I think it was against Princeton. I was feeling good, and uh, they canceled they canceled the season. Ivy League was the first one to cancel their full season. Um, that was <laughs> yeah, we were all pretty furious, but obviously seeing what happened to the rest of the world, I mean, can't. There's definitely bigger problems, but. So you only in three years only had one full season where you weren't injured or, yeah. you know, something happened or whatever it was, you know? Yeah, my sophomore year. And it was it was the best year uh, I've ever best had. Best year of your life, probably, yeah. right? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. We, went to, <laughs> we went to the quarterfinals and we lost in overtime uh, to Yale, who made it to the championship. And we beat them uh, twice earlier in the year in overtime. We'd be in court overtimes one time and then regular overtime another time. Uh, and then they got us in the quarterfinals. So, <laughs> You know, one of the things that I find fascinating about lacrosse is just like um, just how much the face-off specialist matters, right? Yeah. Like winning yeah. their face-off, like it's like gigantic, right? Um, yeah, yeah. We had one of the best guys in the country last year, uh, Kyle Gallagher. Shout out to him. He, uh, he's definitely one of the best players in the country. And uh, But uh, we actually got pretty screwed. Uh, I don't know if I told you about all this, but the uh, Ivy League in general got screwed pretty hard by the COVID rules because uh, we're not able to have guys come back to our team um, unless they do a fifth year of undergrad. So they can't do grad school um, and play on our team. So a lot of guys that were seniors just lost their senior year, and so they have to go to like an ACC school or somewhere else where you can play as a grad student. And also, Ivy League doesn't do scholarships. So a lot of guys are like, am I really going to pay this extra $60,000 or whatever to come back and get the same undergrad degree, or should I get a scholarship to go to an ACC school and get a master's degree, get a graduate degree, and get paid to play pretty much. Yeah. So Sounds like you're getting a scholarship as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, like, I mean, unless you've got like, you know, real deep pockets behind you, it's kind of yeah. like, you know, that makes it pretty almost impossible, right? To come back and do a fifth year undergrad and pay for it, right? Just so you could play lacrosse, even though being part of that team sounds like, you know, so in, in some ways it's probably the best experience you'll ever have, right? Because I think the, one of the hardest parts about growing up, so to speak, is just, you do less team sports as you get older. You still do, like, you know, people do softball leagues and baseball leagues and, you know, basketball leagues and so on, but it's not quite the same, right? So, and I yeah. think you guys recognize that too on some level, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And definitely as you get from, like, to your junior and senior year, you definitely start to realize, like, wow, like, because you see your friends who are a year older than you and they're like, man, dude, like, I would do any like they're working in the office and they're like, damn, like I would do anything to be running sprints right now with my friends. Like I would be do I would do any like those things that we think suck when we're at Penn or when we're on our team, like working out, like anything that's really hard, seven AM lifts, like they're like, dude, I would do anything to go back to that. Like they're like, I just miss my friends. I just miss being around my boys all the time. Like and, and having that kinda that feeling of team sports, exactly what you said. Like so I'm definitely trying to treasure it as much as I can, uh, while I'm here. Yeah, it's amazing how much, you know, perspective matters and how much perspective changes, right? And it sounds like you're at a pretty young age. You're 21 or 22. I always can never remember. What? 21. 21, yeah. It's amazing how much perspective you have at 21, like to sort of savor the experience. Because when you listen to interviews of, of a lot of pro athletes, like guys like Michael Strahan, 
Um, you know, I, I even think probably Derek Jeter and so on. A lot of them, they don't necessarily enjoy a lot of their careers until they're getting close to retirement. And then they start to realize, oh my God, I only got a year or two left here. I better savor it because yeah. we're so caught up in winning and so caught up in the competition, you know, that it's hard to enjoy the journey in the process. That's the trick here, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's something that we've always talked about in all aspects of life. And like sports is just a metaphor for the rest of your life. I mean, you want to enjoy every every aspect of it. You want to enjoy the process of it. Because, I mean, my, my coach says things like that also. Like, hey, like, we're going to put in all the work that we can to win this national championship. Like, our goal is to win a national championship. And we're going to put in all the work all year to get there. But we're going to enjoy the process as we go along because – we might not get it. There might be something where a ref makes a bad call at the end of the game, or we don't make one play and the other team does, and we don't win. Like, but was it? It was all still worth it because we enjoyed the process of chasing that with each other and, and then being doing that alongside each other. And so that's a really important thing to keep in mind while we're going through it. Yeah, I love it. You know, I was just in a conversation this morning, Mitch, with a D one lacrosse player, um, and she's a freshman, and she's in engineering school at, at her program. And we were talking about how just how much work is involved, you know, the engineering program and the D and the D1 lacrosse. And I was telling talking to her about inherited money because I've coached people along the way at times that have had inherited money. And, you know, most of the time when things are given to you in life, it's not just that you don't appreciate them, but you don't develop the self-confidence, right, that comes with the hard work, you know, the hours and the, you know, all that that you put into becoming good or excellent or great, like it translates to every aspect of life, right? Because you're, you have that confidence because you built it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I can totally see that's something that I definitely struggled with too. I kind of felt like, I mean, especially with recruiting, when I wasn't getting recruited early, I was like, well, like, I don't, like, am I really like, Am I good enough? Like, am I am I putting in enough work? And then, like, once you kind of get there, and then I started to see some success later in high school, and then as I got to college, um, you're like, wow, like, all right, you kind of have to tell yourself, like, okay, like these kids, yeah, these kids are good. Like, you might be intimidated at first, but dude, like, did they really work that much harder than me? Like, did they really put in more than I did? Like, no, like I should feel like I'm on the same level as them, and I should play that way. I should play like I earned my spot here because I did, because I know I did. So like that's kind of the mentality you have to take into it, and it's easy. It's sim like similar to what you said. It's hard to be consistent with that. It's easy to be like, oh, like this kid's like, this kid's massive, or this kid's like the quickest, has the best shot, like, or he's the best defender. Like, look what he's done. Look at his accolades. Like, like, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, did he really? Like, I know that I worked hard. Like at the end of the day, I know what I did to get here, and I'm proud of that. And I'm gonna rely on my training. I'm gonna fall back on my training to get me where I want to go and present moment time as well right the ability no matter how good your attitude a part of that attitude is orienting towards the now right mm -hmm. staying in the moment all the time right because even if you approach practice with a phenomenal attitude you approach a game with a phenomenal attitude if you get in your head you're dead right doesn't right so it's like you still have to come back into the moment all the time everywhere right yeah totally. <laughs> i love it what else, Mitch? What do you want to ask? Anything you're curious about? Anything you want to bump off of me while we're on Zoom together? Yeah, maybe. Uh, so we talked about kind of team sports, kind of um, as you get older, kind of falling back a little bit. And I was just wondering kind of how you've kind of either noticed the differences in yourself from like lack of team sports as you got older, because I know we've talked about it uh, and how active you were when you were younger, especially when it was easier and it was right in front of you or kind of how you've kind of filled that void or like tried to get back into that um, team sports in general or the lessons learned from them in general. As you yeah, know. I love it. Um, great question. Uh, you know, I'm a big believer, as you know, in creativity and diversification. You're, you know, so you're almost always working on a combination of the two. I think those are successful approaches to life in general. So, um, you know, I mean, so getting more creative on your life's journey, you know, learning to like, you know, I put myself when we moved to the desert uh, a year and a half ago, I put myself on tennisround.com or whatever that was, and I got matched up with people to play tennis with. And I'm like, 
club, you know, I, don't, I haven't played tennis in years. I, I put myself down as a 4-0. And then if I play regularly, there's some rating, right? It's like zero to five or whatever it is. I, you know what I mean? So four, you know, it's probably higher than that. But I would get all these like hyper competitive males for like a 4-0 or 4-5 trying to kick my ass. And then my competitive side would kick in and I would do you know, play really well, but it was a way of sort of meeting people and connecting. I, I made friends with some Canadian guys in the desert. Um, I actually played magic as a former, I never played tennis in my life competitively, other than like when we were like eight, nine, ten years old. We used yeah. to, that's when we learned. And so then we quit to play baseball, we being my twin and I, and so we never played competitively, but I was in a match with the D1 fighter from like Michigan or something, you know, he was my age. The guy had like a hundred mile an hour serve and everything. And I took him, like I decided, I'm like, I had my A game that day. You know, I had yeah. no business being even on the court with him. Like yeah. he said, he's a four or five, he was probably a five and I'm sitting there, you know, a 4-0 that could be better just because I'm a good athlete. And yeah. I literally, I was so proud of myself. I lost like seven five or something in you know one set. My, I was sucking the air. I thought I was gonna die. I couldn't <laughs> play a second set to save my life because. But I was so proud of myself for being so tough. You know, really hanging in there. And yeah. you know what I mean. And and he literally cheated. He started to cheat. This guy actually started <laughs> to cheat. He called a couple shots that were yeah. on the line out because like he was so competitive. But you know, I, you know, so something play, something like that where you put yourself on a website, you meet people playing tennis. Golf's an amazing sport because, like, you know, when you learn to play golf well, like, I, you know, I can hit the ball straight most of the time. It's just I can do that putting. Who the hell knows? It comes and goes. Just because it's harder, you have to actually put more time in. But I can relax on a golf course and connect with people. And so when you're playing golf a lot, you meet really interesting people. You go into foursomes and stuff. Yeah. Like, I, you know, my wrist is finally ready and I'm probably going to play um, this week. You know, I've got a couple different people I'm going to play with just to, you know, connect and build relationships, right? So, you know, the team aspect of it, you know, I played adult golf leagues and stuff along the way. And those are always fun. But again, it's like diversifying and getting creative, you know, otherwise you, you know, as you get older, you know, you know, you're sort of, it doesn't happen at all. Yeah. Well, that's also the thing is it's up to you when you're older. I mean, when you're younger, it's kind of like, oh, like I go to school, like these kids also like the sports I like, so let's all go play. But like, when you, as you're older, you kind of have your independent lifestyle. Um, like you said, you need to put yourself out there. You need to have that random conversation. You need to like go up to those guys at the, at the golf course and be like, Hey, like, you guys want to like, you guys want to play later or you really want to set up the time for tomorrow, things like that. Uh, one thing that I've always loved, like that I feel like I'm always going to love is uh pickup basketball. It's like my favorite yeah. thing to do. Totally. Like, huh? Yeah. hundred percent. I, I did that all through my twenties. Yeah. And then of course I got so injured that I stopped doing it. <laughs> yeah. Pickup yeah, basketball is actually pretty rough. I mean, if you play, yeah like in inner city, you know what I mean? I used to play in San Diego and it, it was pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. but the coolest thing is like, I mean, when you have like, even if you're doing like a two on two or three on three, if you have people that want to play that are competitive, that like are going to go hard and like actually give their effort for it. Like it's always going to be a great game. Like it's always going to be like, it's always going to get you sweating. It's always going to get you exhausted. And you're going to have this feeling of like competitiveness like throughout it that you want to win. That exactly. We have the same feeling. Like I hate losing to pick a basketball game. Like I, yeah, those are great memories because all through my 20s in grad school until I got injured, we'd do Saturday pickup basketball games and we'd play for five hours. I couldn't walk on Sunday, but I was always blissed out, like blissed out like that yeah. four or five hours of pickup basketball, like, you know, once a week when you're sort of not totally in shape. Yeah. I mean, you're just like, it's the most amazing thing ever if that's your, you know what I mean? Because of the exactly what you talked about, like the camaraderie the fun the you know the intensity pick yeah. up yeah you reminded me of that too yeah so pick up hoops tennis golf these are all things you can do when you're older you know although people my younger brother did the adult baseball leagues for a while well well into his 40s huh. you know so some people do that right they play 30s and 40s adult baseball yeah i mean there's games like yeah i could totally see baseball like a couple of my buddies dads are in softball leagues things like that just like to go have a couple beers on like a sunday night and like by the beach play some softball like with your friends like sounds like a great time to anyone also 
But um, I mean, things like lacrosse or like football, like they definitely get tougher as you get older. Like, like obviously, and it's tougher. Those are just tough things to play pickup games with. Also, like with basketball, you literally just need a ball and like three buddies, and like you can have the time of your life on the court. Or like tennis, like you just need to find the court somewhere and you're fine. No, it's so true. But I promise you, once you're in your thirties and forties. It's so easy to get injured playing pickup basketball or even tennis just because most of the time we're working so hard. That's the challenge that you're not stretching and you're not really staying in shape midweek. Then you go out there on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. And if you're not like, it's so easy to get injured. Trust me. Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely. You got injured like, you know, and you were in the prime shape of your life. Yeah. So. That's what the, yeah. doctor, the doctor said with Achilles injuries is very common among like like older men, like 30 to 40 year old men who haven't really like run in a long time. They just go out there and try to play pickup basketball and that first step they take with that first jump, like it just uh, Achilles pops. Like he said, that's where it's a lot more common than like younger guys who like are more in shape. Yeah. You know, you're reminding me now of when I got my doctor in psychology, the, the end, the last six months is so much work, you know, getting the dissertation ready and defending it. And like a week, like just a few days after I defended my dissertation, I was invited to play touch football and I sprinted out for a pass. Like, you know what I mean? Someone threw like a bomb to me, like 40, 50 yard pass. And I'm running full sprinting out. I'm like 29 years old. I've done nothing for six months, but study and write and prepare and everything. And my like hamstrings popped, like my right hamstring popped. I heard the pop. And then of course you can't, you know, you're not walking right. And you get pretty, you know, it's pretty upsetting. You get pretty, as you know, you get pretty pissed. And I just like hobbled off the field. Like I put my head down and I remember just walking off the field and people were like, what's wrong? I tore my hamstring and I knew I tore it because I heard the pop and I literally didn't even want to communicate right right with everybody i just walked off like with a severe limp and then the next day you know you're not walking uh doc i don't know if you're still there but it's fully paused for me uh i don't know what happened Oh, you froze. You're back. Oh, okay. right. Yeah, you froze like mid-sentence there. Yeah. Awesome. No, we were talking about how easy it is to just get injured when your your internet is unstable. Is what it's what it's saying. Um, oh no, now we're back and we're okay. Um, anything else you're curious about? I mean, that's a really good question about how you create make it interesting. You know, with the team sport thing as you're older. You know, again, golf sounds really team sport. But it's so fun. Like, you know, you have four or five hours. I try to get everybody, you know, that that has any interest in golf to learn how to play just because for business reasons, too. It's such a great way to connect with people because you have more time with golf. You have four or five hours in the round and then you either have breakfast or lunch or dinner on the other side of it. You know, you got drinks after. It's just a great way to connect on a business level or friendship level. Yeah. Totally. And so like I'm at the age where a lot of my friends are starting to play golf and like go out and like go out together for a few hours at a time. And I honestly just haven't um, practiced enough or played enough to like where I feel like I would be patient enough on the course. Like I feel like I would just shank every shot and be like, oh, like, like I should have been practicing way more to even come out here. But uh, oh, also just like I've talked to you about it before, but I just wanted you to touch on a little more kind of the mental game of golf, of golf in general and how that's kind of like how that can be applicable to so many other, um, to so many other sports. Cause I've heard like the way you talk about it, like you're so passionate about like, all right, like I'm, a, I have an on day today. Like I'm feeling great. And like, it was just going, like I meditated, I slept well, like everything was great within my body and, and it shows on the golf course. And so I just wanted you to touch on that a little bit more maybe. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, golf is so crazy mental. It's unbelievable. That's why I love it so much. I call it like sort of a spiritual game as well because it's so much about being in the moment and about that pre-shot routine and about letting go and just being in the, you know, again, being in the moment. But what's funny is I was listening to a Brooks Kepka interview and, you know, and he's like top five in the world and he's won four major championships in the past two and a half years, you know, two U.S. Opens. 
two uh, PGA championships. And, you know, he was talking about slow play and about how there's all these sports psychologists out there that are basically getting everybody to focus on their process so much that they basically are, oh, you know, I mean, it's too much. And I actually found myself agreeing with him because, you know, that 15 second routine is plenty for most people. And then you just hit the ball. A lot of people have a tendency to overthink and, you know, I mean, and sort of get too focused on their process, so to speak. And sometimes you just need to keep it really simple, have your little pre-shot routine, and then just have the confidence to do it, whatever it is. And so it's, you know, it's like, it's like any aspect of life in the sense that you're learning how to train your mind to be in the moment from shot to shot, let go, relax, and then be whoever you are in between. You know, some people are more talkative in competition and some people are not. It's really about going with your natural style. I love to connect, I'm a connector type. So, you know, when I've played tournaments in the past, like, you know, I'm hyper-focused for that 30 seconds up to the shot, and then in between, I'm working on letting go and being in the moment, right? So it just depends who you are and how you're wired. Um, you know, but that's part of the reason why I love the game so much, because it's so complex, it's so interesting. Yeah, I could see, I could also see how it would be such a training exercise kind of mentally for somebody who is is an overthinker because i mean i'm i have been an overthinker for a long time as you know especially in sports um and so kind of putting yourself in that uncomfortable position of like hey like, i'm gonna take this one shot i have everything riding on this one shot and then i'm gonna have these this like five minutes of like self-reflective period like that's actually a really good opportunity for you to practice that mindfulness and to practice that present moment and just like taking each shot as it comes and be like, hey, like, I'm going to take this shot and then I'm not going to overthink anything. I'm going to do my routine the same way that I always do. And if I'm feeling it, it's going to go. And I mean, kind of not allowing yourself to overthink or to think too much in between shots like that when you're walking from each 21, I think that could be like a really good opportunity to practice mindfulness. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, you have four or five hours if you're on a course, right? And, you know, I've talked about it a lot. Let's just say your whole, you know, routine is 30 seconds. And if you have 72 shots, right, that's 36 minutes out of four and a half hours or something. So the hyper focus part is literally, you know, it's like, you know, less than a fifth or whatever of your time. So learning how to enjoy the experience in between is what it's really about. I mean, again, you know, if you're in competition, you can like, you know, you know, observe things or play, pay attention to your breathing, come back into the moment, just enjoy the walk, the experience. Some people will are more chatty than other people or whatever, but it's really about not having too much tension. It's about letting go and being in that moment and enjoying the experience. And then when you have to focus or hyper-focus, you're able to do that. If something disrupts it, yes, you want to back away, but some people get almost like too much that way. It's like they start to, right? They're overthinking even the like letting go process, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and the way you're describing it, I mean, I haven't really played a full round of golf in a long time or a serious one at that. But it just seems like the perfect landscape to really uh, hone that, that hone that in and um, hyper focus, like you said, because that's what that's what it is. I mean, you want to be able to like kind of take back, like look back, especially in a team sport. You want to take a step back and be like, all right, where's my team at right now? Like, man, maybe even managing like other guys, their personalities while you're on the field while you're playing. And then there's gonna be time for like, all right, I'm one on one with this person. I need to hyper focus. I need to win this matchup. And then it's like, all right, now I make my next decision. For me. You just kind of go from there, and you're not going to be thinking about everything that whole time. So that that's just a really interesting. Uh, yeah, that's a really good summary. It sounds like you and I are destined to play golf together at some point in the future here. Like I'm really going to look forward to that match. I know. Anyway, I got to this was an absolute pleasure. Um, I was here today with Mitch Bartolo. I'm here today with Mitch Bartolo, D1 lacrosse player, University of Pennsylvania, an all-around fundamentally decent guy. Love you, pal. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Dr. Brad. I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I'd love to hop back on here again whenever you want to have me. So thank you. Awesome, Mitch. Thank you so much.